Welcome everyone to the Do Not Enter podcast, where today we hallucinate a vision of a girl in some random cave. Is there a result of consuming too much spice? Let's find out. I'm your host, Humphrey Shu, and joining me are my friends and co-hosts, Fillmore John. Hey guys. And Nolan Zhang. Welcome back. Alright, so welcome everyone back. So we uh, have a little bit of a schedule change we need to tell you about. So the last two episodes actually have both released on Saturday. Um, but so due to our recording schedule and our schedules like normally, we decided to move the upload date to Monday so that we can record this on Sunday. So right now it's Sunday night, uh, January the 9th. Um, yeah, so that's just a little bit about why this is coming up on Monday, um, if y'all have been waiting. So how have y'all's week been? anything special or well i mean winter breaks ended and we're getting back into school so it's right. been a bit more busy than usual yeah a lot more i've definitely had a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but you know today i kind of took a break and i went to the park with a friend and i don't know we we're playing trouble and we played three rounds but i destroyed them all three rounds so 100 percent win rate here let's wow. go no, what a pro gamer <laughs> I know, that big gamer in the park. <laughs> <laughs> you just took you took your friends for a walk, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they they were on a leash, bro. All right. Well, uh, yeah, not to not to hold up any longer. So uh, we'll let I'll let Nolan take it away with the epigraph. Okay, let me just start off by reading to y'all the epigraph today. So the epigraph goes: Thus spoke Saint Elia of the knife. The Reverend Muller must combine the seductive wiles of a courtesan with the untouchable majesty of a virgin goddess holding these attributes in tension, so long as the powers of her youth endure. For when youth and beauty have gone, she will find that the place between once occupied by tension has become a wellspring of cunning and resourcefulness. From Muad'Dib Family Commentaries by the Princess Irulan. So I think the first thing that's just stuck out to me about the epigraph is the change in the books. So... It says Muad'Dib family commentaries, and it used to be that the epigraphs came from the manual of Muad'Dib. Do y'all think that this like means that there's like multiple books, like holy books, in the Muad'Dib religion? Right. I definitely think it could possibly be a series. You know, it's all all about the Muad'Dib. Um, we haven't really figured out what the Muad'Dib is, um, mm-hmm. but it definitely, yeah, definitely could be a whole different types of a whole series, right? Yeah, a series of religious texts. Uh-huh. Imagine like a prequel. <laughs> yeah, so I wonder if this is similar to the the Balearian Jihad and the Orange Catholic Bible we talked about, if it's religious yeah. text. And that means that would well if it was religious, that would mean the Muad'Dib is a religious figure, which I don't necessarily oh, think yeah. is true. Maybe but, not religious but sacred. Yeah, yeah. perhaps. Um it seems definitely very important to the Bene Gesserit, so Yeah. Oh, I just also want to touch more on the speaker who's speaking called Saint Elia the Knife. I kinda of thought it was kinda of religious because the speaker was a saint. Uh-huh. And um, also, but weirdly enough, her pen name, well, like her actual like nickname is Alia of the Knife, which uh-huh. I find funny because like saints aren't supposed to be like, oh, knife in a weapon. Yeah. So what do y'all think about that? Um, I think, I guess what knife could literally be her weapon, right? But maybe I'm thinking it also could mean that, it, uh, it could just be some random name for all we know, but maybe it means she's sharp. Like she's oh, got, well, she's I mean, got I thought... Like... Yeah, well, I thought it could be like a sacrificial knife type of thing. Oh. Like she's the wielder of the sacrificial knife. Right. Yeah, maybe she's like a priest or something. Just like offer sacrifice. Yeah, you're right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah like some. Yeah, like some religions definitely in the past mm-hmm. have had sacrifices. Yeah, you're right. It mm-hmm. could be, and that would tie definitely back into this religious context. So maybe Muad'Dib yeah. is a a religious or a sacred figure, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I also just want to touch on like when they described a Reverend Muller. It kind of discussed like how she was like kind of like a politician in her prime, but then like as she gets older, she seems to transition to more of like kind of a cunning and resourcefulness, which I kind of think of as like a kind of a teacher quality. So I think like her role function just like changes as she becomes like from young old and then like passes it on to someone else. Right. I I definitely think that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I okay. think we'll we'll get into the actual book now, right? So. Um, so one of the first things that we come across in the opening remarks of this book is this soundproof meditation chamber. After discussing like this kind of maybe pseudo-religious thing, 
I was just thinking like, why do the Atreides family have an entire room, soundproof room dedicated to meditation? Do y'all think it's like they're highly religious or something? Um, I guess it would tie into if if the Muad'Dib was religious, as we were discussing, then yeah, perhaps. But also maybe, I mean, clearly the Ben and Jesuit Valley thoughts and and future and like the, the, like viewing their past and their future a lot. So maybe mm-hmm. it, it's because of that they need a quiet space to be able to meditate on that. Yeah, there's some sort of self reflection room, and maybe they like value self reflection really highly. Yeah, for sure. Let's do like yoga. Yeah. Yeah, so we get a little bit of a Jessica's experience in the Gamjabar. So I'll read a little quote from here. Um, it says, There had been another ordeal once, so many years ago. A skinny girl with hair the color of bronze, her body tortured by the winds of puberty, had entered the study of the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohium, Proctor Superior of the Bene Gesserit School on Wallach 9. Jessica looked down at her right hand, Flex the fingers, remembering the pain, the terror, the anger. So, what do y'all think of this quote? I thought it was a really nice quote, first of all. Um, it gave some description of what Jessica was like. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it tells us that she was Paul's age when she did this, too, you know. So, it seems like it's a test that all, the most adventures were put through. Um, so, what, what do y'all think? Why, why did she feel the emotions she did? Well, I mean, first of all, it's like revealing that she went through the same thing at his age which shows like she's well aware of how the test is like for sure like she understands like that's supposed to hurt and i guess like even though it is like an initiation ceremony type of thing just like the pang is just unmatched by anything they've ever experienced beforehand but Mm -hmm. what i was kind of wondering about like if she kind of expected this why was she so angry during the gum jabbar test because like has she not prepared him um i feel like it was probably some some mix of her pride and her powerlessness because she i feel like jessica and especially paul so we know where paul gets it from now uh (laughs) that is that they they have the feeling of they want to be in control of their situation because taking thinking back i feel like jessica and paul would have reacted very similarly so thinking back to paul's experience which we got to see uh, in very great detail paul he essentially wanted to say that he wanted to call the guards in to kill the reverend mother right so he he felt that he was in control right but the reverend mother kind of disregarding his comment and then establishing that she was the one in full power you know i feel like that mm-hmm. might have insulted their both of their prides crippled uh, him. yeah I would have crippled yeah. his his mentality, you know. So I feel like that's <laughs> why that's why Jessica. It's this mix of this pride that she feels of like this injured pride plus her powerlessness or inability to do anything about the situation. Right? Yeah, and also as a mother, she would be like, I mean, she, her son's gonna go through like a life threatening crisis. So <laughs> I mean, I would be angry if like my child had like could have died from that test oh, that's true yeah because like all the others didn't survive right so <laughs> that's that's something to be scared about yeah definitely it would be well i mean very scary yeah well it seems that like paul like later in the chapter it says that paul was unexpected for the benegesterate he was supposed to be a girl which could have been wed to the harkonnens as some sort of peace treaty uh-huh. but i was thinking that like the blood feud between them couldn't be solved with just the political marriage. Yeah, you're right. It's it's such it seems so superficial, you know. It's okay, it's just one marriage. First of all, we don't know how much uh, Jessica and Paul matter to Leto because for all we know, Jessica is one of a hundred concubines that Leto has and Leto oh, has yeah, so many that, different children, sure. right? Because mm-hmm. because that's all we know. So we don't know how much how much value jessica is is in the is in the mind of leto right so and also it kind of shows the reverend mother's like naivete a little bit because (laughs) she she thinks that it could be mended with such a simple marriage you know if if uh, like fade rautha i'm assuming he he would be wedded to fade rautha because he's the harkonnen heir right like fade rautha does i don't know how much fade rautha matters to the baron i think a lot right but we don't know how much paul matters to to yeah, Toledo. So we we just don't, or or Jessica's um, <laughs> supposed daughter. So we just don't know. I think I think the Reverend Mother here is just speculating too much and thinking too much about what could have happened. So it kind of shows a little bit of naivete on her part. Yeah, I feel like really the Reverend Mother just doesn't understand that. Like at this point, with so much plotting on the mm-hmm. Harkonnens side, there's you can't go back from that with just a simple political 
marriage, you know? It's yeah, too it's, it's too simple of a political maneuver. Especially yeah. after they paid so much just for, like for the Imperium and just for like the um the the guild. There's no way they're going back from that. Yeah. yeah. And then for some reason, Jessica is being forced to accept the blame, you know? So Honestly. It's, yeah, the Reverend Mother is isn't just thinking about the past. She's actively blaming others for the past. So it shows her how... I mean, I keep saying that her, her kind of childishness here because it's kind of her first lesson, really, to not... Once something's done, there's nothing you can change it, you know, and change about it. So mm -hmm. I feel you like... expect her to be that mature. Yeah, I, I mean, I expected her to to know better you know so yeah i don't know why the reverend mother's literally trying to anger her you know and and talk talk smack about her essentially right what do y'all what do y'all think like why is she trying to make like jessica angry even though she's totally in the wrong you know well i'm i think she's just angry at jessica's arrogance probably because yeah. like i mean she <laughs> fully expected jessica to bear a daughter but instead jessica's like oh I think I can bear a son, and like, fine, it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. so you're kind of talking, saying like, when your parents get mad at you for talking back, even though you're in the right a lot of the time, right? Mm -hmm. You like, but when you argue a good point, it's like that kind of. Some parents will say Annoying something like, them. you know, oh, uh, like don't talk back well, to me, and they don't. Yeah, like, I'm your parent. Like, yeah, you so shouldn't maybe, talk perhaps back to that's me. why the Reverend Mother's just sick of Jessica having her own ideas. Perhaps paying up having a smart child. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, my parents wouldn't know, but <laughs> uh, anyway, and then Jessica's ability to sense the possibility of producing the Quasas Hotrack is something I thought was incredibly interesting. So this kind of implies that she can choose the gender of her child, which is something, of course, that we can't do. Is there some scientific development or can she just, uh, I, don't, I don't know, can she just manipulate it in her mind? Right. Um, in the book, it did state that she could sense the possibility. Right. To what extent, I don't know, and like to what control she had over the baby. I kind of just thought of it as like maybe because she was like kind of magical with this whole like voice power. Maybe that just like was like a side effect, like a you know, just like a perk of having a just being able to like sense what's inside your body, like the internal conditions and what's going on. I don't know. That's how I thought of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So. Okay. Yeah, I guess that I guess that it, that would make sense. Yeah, and then like, I just want to touch more on this whole political marriage thing, because one interesting thing that the Reverend Mother seemed to be really focused on was that since there was going to be no political marriage, she kept reminiscing about how they could like lose both bloodlines. I'm guessing she's referring to the Atreides and the Harkonnens. Is this like why do y'all think that like they're going to lose both the Harkonnens and Atreides? Is it because, like something's going to happen and like? I don't know. What do y'all um, think? I guess, yeah, there's just some, probably some conflict. I feel that, yeah, I feel like it's just mutually assured destruction where they're oh, probably going to wipe each other out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I guess foreseeable conflict is kind of the route I'm taking. What do y'all think? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's most likely the correct yeah, answer likely. to that. Um, Unless they have, like, some sort of, like, dependency on each other where like if one bloodline is wiped out the other one will also get wiped out as well that would be very interesting i guess yeah. that, then it would be mutually assured destruction right? mm -hmm. yeah so, and then i guess moving on it's just like afterwards she threatens jessica the rubber mother with like chasing her down to the ends of the earth and like every every hand turned against her how powerful do you think the bene jester arcs like from her description it seems that like bene jester have a very deep connections and they could just kind of like break the law and just like kill people well i mean i don't think they were talking about the bene Gesserit in that where like yeah. they would hunt down jessica right yeah that's what i was thinking too i don't think it's the bene Gesserit. i feel like it would be like the harkonnens or maybe the yeah the, the other you know or maybe like the imperium or the lands red some big you know, so I don't, I don't think it would be the Bene Gesserit because I think the Jessica Jessica's part of the Bene Gesserit race. So I don't think yeah they, they would... want the Bene Gesserit or they want the Quizats Hadarai. They're not yeah. against them. Yeah, yeah. So okay, maybe she would she broke the rules, right? But yeah. I mean, it's well, like I don't think that warrants death. Yeah, kill your own members, right? So mm -hmm. um, yeah. So do you guys think that there's only like specific allowed or members of the Gen Bene Gesserit are allowed to bear sons, or like? Um, because, like, if this is the case, then it probably explains, like, how not many people were able to pass the true stair test. Because, like, 
or because like there aren't many people to take the test in the first place. Um, I think I I don't think that specific members are allowed to bear signs. I feel like if they could choose the possibility, I mean, if they can choose like who becomes a son, I feel like it's not specific members. It's just like maybe every once in a while they choose like one person, you know. To, to bear a son. So it's not like, oh, you know, you're born and then you have, like, uh, your parents could bear a son, so you can bear a son, you know. It's something <laughs> yeah, like that. Weird. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. So, yeah, I don't I don't think that it's just specific members. And then also kind of reminds me of, like, is the truth there drug test just totally due to probabilities? Because we don't know how many people actually took it right so <laughs> if not so many people were like if not too many sons were born and not too many people took the test to be the kwasas hotarak right then maybe it's it's just all possibility it's not like oh everybody else failed right it's yeah, like, maybe failed, it's just like a low chance. probability but like yeah you can still do it <laughs> yeah it's just a game of a game of dice right so, a game of chance yeah yeah so, but it if we take the religious aspect into it, like how they're talking about it, do you think like it's some type of like divine fate, just like some greater powers overseeing this, like the Kusat's Hotter can only arrive at like a certain time at like a certain place, and just like this could only be like this one special person and everyone else fails? Uh, I don't, I don't know how much of fate it is because I feel like it's more free will than fate. I think, I mean, we don't have any evidence of supernatural intervention. We've seen some yeah. spiritual rituals, right? But we haven't seen supernatural intervention, so I don't have a, I don't have a belief that it is fate. Fate, yeah, we maybe don't... as in pure chance, maybe, but not as in divine intervention. I feel like. Yeah, I think it's more of like some sort of plot fate, where like the author writes it, writes it into the plot, where like he'll he will become the Kuzats Hadarag, but not like <laughs> not like godlike fate, where like some un, yeah. some divine being comes down and says, "You are the chosen one." Yeah, plot yeah. mover. <laughs> yeah, definitely right. So it seems like the the Reverend Mother can also see into the future, you know. So what do y'all think of this ability? Because it it seems like a cool ability. Um, to just uh, be able to see pathways, but what do y'all think? Honestly, right now I think of it as like how he's in like in Marvel series Doctor Strange, just like how he can see like all these possibilities, but he doesn't know which one yeah, because it's like nine, it's like nine million possibilities, and then none of them lead to your success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if he could see, like if she could see all those, then like why was she so surprised when Jessica had the son? I just feel like it's not that great, you know. I'm just yeah. saying. Or maybe it only shows specific events. You're right. I don't know. Maybe because I, I feel like the, the when they see into the future, it's not like the future like that they want to see. It's like a future that just like randomly shows oh, up. I see what you mean. Like it hits them. <laughs> they don't choke. They yeah, don't they don't. Know. They don't control like what future what they, they see. see. Right. Yeah. So every time they have a vision, it'll be different. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. That's. I mean, then honestly, the more possibilities there are of course there's infinite possibilities if you think about it like with the butterfly effect i mean more possibilities mm -hmm. there are the less oppressive it is because the less you know the less accuracy you have right with mm -hmm. your feature seeing right so yeah so also um when they they you know how they mentioned that they're going to be a fugitive with the price on their head mm -hmm. because uh jessica bore a son do you think that like this is some sort of foreshadowing where like there a bunch of people are gonna come after them? Definitely, I think it's pretty clear foreshadowing. I feel <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like definitely this is gonna happen. Um, I don't know if they'll get a bounty because I feel like in order to place a bounty, there's there's got to be a really big regulatory force. Um, mm -hmm. But I definitely think that they they'll be hunted. Um, they'll be animals hunted. Right? I just yeah, I just feel like overall this book has just put up a lot of stuff up front. So we're getting like a lot of the plot. We already uh, see it here. Yeah, we know? get so much information in the first three chapters. I don't think I'm sure. And I mean, we all know Dune is a famous book and then it's been. You know, it's well known for its plot and its world building, but I mean, honestly, I can't see how much more Herbert can put because there's <laughs> yeah. so much of the plot. You know, I feel like we know what's going to happen already. I feel like we <laughs> already have, we can already sketch good pictures of what's going to happen in like ten chapters. I'm just like waiting for like chapters. that surprise like right. twist in this book and be like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> then, kill off, <laughs> kill yeah, Paul, whoa, <laughs> whoa. You know, and then I mean, I feel <laughs> like. Character. 
Yeah, I feel like we we already know so much. All we can see wait is to see it play out, and then I feel like our feeling is the same as the characters' feeling. You know, the characters yeah. know that know everything's gonna happen too, right? Oh, uh, but good. all they can do is wait for it to play out. Yeah, so I you're think right. Maybe that's what wait. the author's trying to hint at here. Mm -hmm. Sure. So it seems like breeding here is the big issue um, between so like so there's this quote it's called it's in the bloodstream the urge to mingle genetic strains without plan so do y'all think this is like interbreeding or like arranged marriages or, or something what what do y'all think i was thinking about like how in the old days royalty had to like inbreed to like keep their lines pure and like Ew. i'm thinking the reason behind this is for like i guess like purity of yeah the magic uh, yeah, yeah it's obviously disgusting so i feel like while it is like true that like you have a responsibility as a royal to like inbreed, it's also kind of disgusting like how we view it and just like so like, yeah. outdated. So like I can't, I feel like you can't really blame Jessica for like, like like other people overall just like go outside of their marvelous plan, you know? Because like eh. definitely, mm -hmm. yeah. So we get a nice little metaphor here, like that the Reverend Mother says, "What is Choam but the weather vane of our times?" And then we also get an exact number of what. The emperor has stated in uh in the charm company fifty nine point six five percent. So basically, the charm company isn't half. directly tied to the emperor. So we find a we kind of figure out here that that the um, basically we can tell. I guess what she means by the weather vane of our times is that what we can tell basically who has the most power in the universe based on their shares in the Choam company. It's just money. <laughs> yeah, it's just money. And then so we money also rules. get uh, a sketch of the three big players of this universe. So we get the Imperial Household, the Landsrad, which are called the Federal Great Federated Great Houses, and then we also get the Space and Guild in between, right? So mm -hmm. the Space and Guild here is pretty interesting. It has a monopoly on interstellar transport. So I guess that's why they're so indispensable to to Leto, right? Because they, I mean, they've they're the ones to hit up, right? If you have to go yeah. anywhere, but if you don't call them, you know, you're gonna be stuck, right? They're, you're gonna be stuck on whatever planet you are at. So I guess that's why the spacing guild is so important. So I mean, that was a lot of information. But what do y'all think about that? Uh, well, I mean, as you mentioned, like the three great parties are the great houses and the imperial household and the spacing guild. So I mean. Like we said, uh, the spacing guild is quite important to them, mm -hmm. but like we are, we like they mentioned earlier, they said that the great houses and the imperial household aren't on very good terms. Mm -hmm. So, do you think like the spacing guild is just like a neutral party between them two, or like what do you think their role is? I feel like the spacing guild's like that one party that like nobody wants to be the friend of, and like this is just like the odd one now, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, I feel like they're just they're just dealing with the the space guild because they can't deal with anyone else, right? Yeah, because honestly, they, they just got because monopoly. they have the power of transport. <laughs> right. Yeah. I I think that definitely makes sense because the space guild is, I mean, we for all we know, you know, the Ben just would like the space guild, but for all we know, the other houses hate it. So yeah, yeah. power. <laughs> yeah. Um. Why do y'all think? That the Reverend Muller dislikes this tripod so much, however, like, like in, in nature we see like triangles, like you know the strongest geometric shape in nature. So like, why do you think this tripod structure of government's like so terrible? I guess it's because the spacing guild could be. I don't think it's necessarily the structure of the tripod here. I mean, I I don't know, but I feel like it could probably be like the spacing guild is one of the legs, and then it's mm -hmm. weaker than all the other legs or maybe it's like shorter and we all know how bad unbalanced tripods oh. are right? yeah so yeah. i feel like that's what they mean by unstable is that the spacing guild is very easily manipulated and corrupted so it's just weak right Co I compared see, yeah. to compared to some of the other like the federal great houses and the lands right and also i feel like it's too it's far too easy for yes for some um like two if, if there's three parties it's far too easy for two of the parties to gang up on the third Right, so I guess that could be another reason. Yeah, yeah, a just like two versus one is like unfair. Yeah, it would be totally unfair, you know, for for that, um, for this case. That makes right. sense. Right. Uh, so Jessica, like in this chapter, says that I am Bene Gesserit. I I exist only to serve. Although the Bene Gesserit have like quite a bit of power in like the grand scheme of things, 
are they subservient? Because like, or is it like the Christian culture where serving others is the moral and correct thing to do? Uh, from what I know, like from what I observed, I'm kind of thinking of them as like, so like, I'm guessing they're part of Mu'a deep religion, and that's just uh -huh. an assumption I'm making. And I, if we're gonna tie to Christianity, I kind of think of them as just like the Israelites just waiting for their savior to come and like the Muadib is kind of like Jesus, I guess. And then like, oh. once they come, like oh, everyone yeah. like, rejoices and like just runs to him. So like currently, I guess they're so powerful because of just preparing the way for the Muadib and just to serve him better. That's what I'm thinking right now. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. So I guess you could add tack on like Muadib or Kwisatz Haderach on, on the end. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. exist only to serve the Kwisatz Haderach. I guess yeah, that would make sense. That would make a lot more sense. I feel like maybe that's the whole point of the Bene Gesserit, you know, is they're yeah. waiting for this, this Kwisatz Haderach to come and deliver everybody, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so like, that would kind of come back to race. <laughs> Yeah, save the humans. Save the, <laughs> save the world, not cliche. <laughs> yeah. So we get a little bit of discussion about Arrakis, right? Oh, yeah. Um... Jessica asked the Reverend Muller, like, is it really that terrible to plan up Arrakis? So I was just wondering, like, is this, like, is this a punishment set out by the, like, like the Reverend Muller? Because, like, Jessica's making it sound like she has to go through this ordeal. And, like, do you think that the Bene Gesserit had influence in the Emperor? Or do you think the Emperor was just, like, their own lone thought in deciding that they're swapping planets or something? The Harkonnens. Um, I think that clearly the emperor is the mastermind of this universe i mean he owns the most shares in the charm company so close to 60 percent but he like and i i i mean i can't claim to know the the reasons behind the emperor's decisions but i think maybe he's trying to manipulate uh the harkonnens versus uh the atreides you know yeah i have a feeling that the emperor maybe i don't know maybe he doesn't like leto that much what do you think yeah i think he's just jealous of leto because of because they said that leader was gaining in popularity, right? And he just wanted to put him in his place, right? Yeah, I, I think that would that would definitely make sense. Because uh, yeah, be, and especially we we see that the the emperor supports the Harkonnens with the Sardaukar, right? So mm -hmm. I I think that de definitely the the emperor's got some ideas about destroying the Atreides. For sure. And I want to talk a little bit about the Missionaria Predictiva. So we don't get much of what they're about, so I won't speculate too much. But it looks like a romance language to me, this language, you know, because it's, it reads similarly to English. And we know that, like, if you read Spanish or French, or some words will read very similarly to English. So mm -hmm. does that mean this, that these languages, you know, these linguistic stuff, they survived all the way until this time? Like... That'd be very interesting. Oh, that would be pretty cool. But oh uh, well, we're not really given like any like pre previous time like languages. Like we don't get any history. Right. But we just get this fancy language of this like Muad'Dib, Kwisatz Haderach, Ben Jesuit, you know. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, idea is that like um whatever religious text they had left was just like how like these weird texts, and they just kind of like developed a new language around it after the Great Revolt, you know. Mm -hmm. maybe yeah maybe I think, it's like yeah. orange catholic bible and then they i think it's a 50 50 where like it's either the author made it up or like it is something from the world that survived mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i think so that makes sense and we get some characterization of the reverend mother too so her we get to see a bit of her softer side which is nice to see after all of her all of her criticisms earlier of jessica right but mm -hmm. it's, it's, I mean, so that she's actually kind of sympathetic to Jessica, I mean, regardless of what she said earlier. Um, and she, like, mentions her duty, right? And then, of course, here's the greatest example of her softer side that she shows that she says that Jessica is valued just as any of her daughters, right? Well, so, it's interesting, though, because, like, the yeah. family dynamic painted is that, like, the daughter doesn't come before her duty and i feel like at least in today's modern society it's kind of like the other way around family always comes first yeah know? yeah maybe maybe because she's her foster daughter and she's just trying Dang. to make a point, like maybe she's just trying to make the point oh you know i care about you but not this not much. much you were still stupid you know like, <laughs> kind of like you know you still made the wrong choice even though you know and now there's nothing to do you can do to change You're right. i think yeah. that, that might be what she's kind of heading towards right um, um i was also like it was mentioned here that 
Paul is called by a different name. Like, um, like we've been thinking Kusas Hadrak Muadib this entire time. Like, another name comes up, which was the Bene Gesserit Totality. I'm a little confused about that, and I feel like there's not much talk about it. I guess we'll just see. This is just like, oh, weird. I think it's just another name for the Kuzat Tadarak. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely, right. Like, oh, they're like the total... I mean, totality just kind of gives you that feeling of end, you know, totality. The the total. Yeah, what what, what will deliver the the Bene Gesserit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So we get more about jessica here so she just clearly states her idea i've been so lonely you know so she's like i mean i gotta read that like a sadder voice (laughs) i've been so lonely you know and then then, i mean it's revealed that she's lonely um and then so we know from earlier that paul's lonely so is there any reason why they both are lonely? Like, why don't they just go make friends? You know, why can't they just do that? It's her fault. <laughs> Instead of yeah. sitting, sitting there complaining about it all day, they should go make some friends. It's because she was bad that Paul is bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think it most likely has to do with their status because, like, since they are such important people, they can't, like, hang out with just random people. Right. Right. Because, yeah, like, there's a chance they get assassinated or something. Yeah, then they're yeah. concubines of the Duke, and then, you know, so... I mean, Paul is literally one of the heirs of the Duke, so... Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we well, also get, like, like... Yeah, actually, go ahead, sorry. Um. Well, I'm, at the same time, the Reverend Mother does respond to this question. Like, not question, but, like, statement. And she says that humans are almost always lonely. I was thinking maybe this isn't, like her like feeling lonely like her entire life <laughs> maybe it's just like a feeling of the moment after all she does she is like she's just been told that she's gonna be hunted down by like everybody on the earth and so like she feels really alone because she realized that like everyone's against her decision and maybe she just feels like everything's like falling apart and that's why she feels lonely oh like, i suppose lonely oh, is yeah. no one can possibly share her struggles right yeah so yeah. Like yeah she, she has carries. to take on the burden of everything and then I guess same with Paul in this case, he'll have to take on the burden of being the Kwasat Hadarak, right? So like, yeah, I, I definitely think she that, wanted it. Yeah, I definitely think that yeah, I, I think that's the loneliness. Lonely as in no one else is in your position, you know. Not mm-hmm. that I I can't talk to anyone or Yeah. So we get a little more about Paul. So Paul views the reverend mother now as an equal so he like kind of talks back to her so i I think this kind of characterizes paul's pride a little bit maybe Mm -hmm. paul is just you know satisfied with himself he's so proud of himself because he passed her test right which of course i mean i'm i'm proud of myself when i pass the test but i'll talk back to the teacher i mean (laughs) i'm not always when i'm not always proud when i pass the test (laughs) yeah because like i feel like a sad thing exactly yeah here here in america the passing score is a 70 so out of but like yeah but paul like passed his test with flying colors like yeah he he was he scored the highest it's ever been you know he 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 went out there and got a 1610 on his sat you know yeah like yeah he 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 totally killed it so i guess that's probably why he like knows you know he did better than anyone he's more qualified to be than anybody else yeah right maybe that's partly why and of course maybe we're just assuming the worst about paul but from what i see that all these heroes have a fatal flaw and maybe i'm I'm just speculating that this might be paul's yeah Pride has been the fatal flaw for many, many heroes. Definitely, all this this hubris, you know. Of course, mm-hmm. I, I think Tolkien oh. called it Ofer mode. Um, when uh, it's very, if y'all don't know Ofer mode, y'all should Google it. Uh, it's like O F E R M O D. Um, it's like a really interesting story about pride. So I'm not going to talk about it because this is not a Tolkien podcast. But uh, it would be a, it, it's a great read for anyone interested in learning more about the downfall of heroes due to pride um but anyway more any any more about that and i'm gonna keep talking so uh I'll, I'll keep going with um the continue with uh our discussion so paul's dream um i think this is probably one of the more important parts of the chapter because it's very predictive so we get a girl here right mm-hmm. um and she's very skinny so i'll, I'll describe uh her physical description of the way the book describes it so she's very skinny with big eyes her eyes are all blue no whites in them so it's the it's the same as pitter's eyes so i think 
I mean, do y'all think that she's a mentat? Cause, or do y'all think that the eyes are something else, about something else? Uh, well, I don't. I think there's a low chance of her being a mentat. It's probably like, <laughs> I think it has something to do with the spice, right? Mm. Yeah, I feel like it's got something to do with spice as well. I feel like mentat, at least my um probably wrong preconception about the mentat was that like, from like the two examples given, Thorfear and Pitter, they're all male, and then like. Ben and Jester are like all females, or supposed to be all females except Paul. So I kind of thought of them as like the two different like branches. Like one is logic, one is politics, and like one is male, one is female. That's kind of how I was thinking about it. Oh so, yeah, yeah. Like, it's a girl. <laughs> but maybe she's an exception, like Paul. I don't know. Yeah, I, I have no clue. But Paul says like Paul says that he'll know her. You know, I, I will, will know, know her. her. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. like that's kind of that's kind of weird. I wonder why he knows that, but. I mean, he has some foresight here too. Like, same with the Reverend Mother. So it's like very interesting. I think this this dream. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I'm really, I'm really curious to find out what this dream is. All meeting will be female all about. friends. Okay. <laughs> First girl Paul's seen in his life, other than his mom. <laughs> it's like you know, I mean, we did find he's isolated, right? And then I his, guess his best friends are like a mentat and a doctor, both of whom are male. So like, it's his first time seeing a girl. Like he's. Yeah, getting other than his mother he's a little hyped up you know <laughs> <laughs> um and then we also get paul has a stamp of strangeness so what do y'all think the stamp of strangeness is um, i kind of just thought of it as like once you become bennett jester you get like access to like the full power of the voice so i kind of just thought of it as like as a tingly feeling that like she feels weird but like it's not actually a stamp Oh, yeah, right. I, I thought it was just like a feeling as well. Like, yeah, like it's just I a strange feeling he gets. Yeah. Yeah, I have the power. Unless they do know. get marked, that's weird. Oh yeah, you have a big mark on your forehead. Shape of an L on your forehead. <laughs> L. <laughs> that would be so. That would be very weird. He's, I mean, it makes sense. It's only some like tattoo. I mean, there's some bits of really yeah. in like literature. That's there's some really cool that, like... tattoos. Uh-huh. You know, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> on your forehead, not a great <laughs> place. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we get in the dream. Also, it's the setting is with patches of sand, and then there's a cavern, right? So, is this the same setting as the previous dream, like in chapter one? You know. Oh, I think that it would most likely be the same place, right? Because like mm. in the, it it wouldn't make sense for it not to be like in the same cavern. I think just in the nature of Paul's dreams, and just because Arrakis is a desert planet, and just having a place of water is probably pretty rare, I think uh, it is the same place. Yeah, so it would be the same place. So I don't know what that means, because earlier we saw them performing religious rituals, and there were a lot of people, so is this some hideout of, I think they were called the Fremen, right? Of yeah, you know, the, 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 the desert dwellers of Arrakis, right? Um, I don't I don't know particularly what this cave means to them, but I'm sure we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course we get a beautiful poem here. Um, it's about water. So actually, I'm gonna take the time to read that. Um, so it goes, I remember salt smoke from a beach fire and shadows under the pines, solid, clean, fixed seagulls perched at the tip of land, white upon green, and a wind comes through the pines to sway the shadows. The seagulls spread their wings, lift, and fill the sky with screeches, and I hear the wind blowing across our beach, and the surf, and I see that our fire has scorched the seaweed. So, I think it's quite a beautiful poem. Um, it's about water, again, which is something they lack on Dune, so it must be very refreshing to the girl to have this description of water that, uh, that they haven't seen. So, yeah, this poem, is, it's the first kind of poetry we've got and i'm used to reading a lot of poetry from reading lord of the rings if if y'all don't know like like tolkien he likes to put alliterative verse and song into every every page there's like a song but i mean i love it uh so it's it's i mean herbert does have some great poetry here i mean for what yeah I can tell. yeah it definitely well, is, I'm just... yeah, it's a fascinating poem but do y'all think it's just like a poem or do y'all think this is like some type of omen or like foreshadowing Oh, uh, well, I mean, I thought it could be some sort of analogy of what's to come because, like, at the end, they talk about scorched seaweed. Mm-hmm. Like, why would the seaweed be scorched from what? 
like because mm. usually like when there's fighting something gets scorched like from fire yeah and fire right fire is symbol of war right oh. so. well i'm gonna like a weird idea like what if arrakis used to be like what if it's like i'm like i guess maybe this is just my my thought of having arrakis is kind of like mars but what if like arrakis used to have like water and like something happened in the universe and like it just disappeared oh, kind of like some type of great on environmental degradation um, yeah a great some kind of catastrophe that happened that yeah reduced the water Stuff sources the seed. that is Over very fascinating yeah the salt water is too much <laughs> <laughs> yeah um yeah and then definitely i think that that makes sense and also you know the wind comes to sway the shadows and of course we get i mean shadows are swayed because of course the wind moves the pines and pines change the shadows but i feel like swaying the shadows is something that they'll you know the shadows hide things right so i feel like maybe oh. the truths will be revealed you know that's, that's, that's good yeah maybe part partly that's i don't know i'm probably speculating too much i don't analyze poetry for a living you know should ask my english teachers i <laughs> fail poetry unit so <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I dread poetry no matter how Me much too. i love poetry in my own free reading having to write it and analyze oh, it at school it's 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 something else it just totally yeah i mean it. i dislike analyzing poetry but writing poetry is really not that difficult Really? I just like I, I find it, it hard. I kind of I kind of enjoy writing poetry. Like I don't. Wow. But I just hate analyzing poet it. Poet Fillmore here. Yeah. <laughs> professional poet. You're gonna you're gonna get drop published. some verses. <laughs> yo yo yo! I'm a part of the Bene Gesserit. Or don't mess with me, or else I'm, you're gonna get it. I don't freaking know. <laughs> that wasn't that bad. That wasn't half that was bad. That wasn't that bad, yeah. Honestly, for free. I mean, that was yeah. on the fly. So. That was yeah. not half bad. You even made it rhyme. That's much better than I would have done. I probably would have, I like, stopped at I probably Jester. would have stopped at the third one. Uh, that's the second one. I was like, oh, I'm part of Ben and Jester. Uh. <laughs> that is not that bad. You should, you have potential. <laughs> Gotta become a SoundCloud rapper. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> Moving on. So, is there more to the proctor's duties than seeking the Quasar's hotter egg? Like, you know, does there? I mean, okay. I, I mean, I'm assuming there is, but how important is this compared to us? Like, what else would the proctor do? You know. I guess it seems that the proctor also teaches people, right? Because like the proctor, like proctor taught like Jessica, so I'm guessing she's also like a teacher at like a big school, you know. Uh huh. Makes sense, mm -hmm. right? And then, the yeah, I guess, and also, she, yeah, I guess she just looks over the benedictorate as a whole, you know, and just like kind of monitors what everyone's doing. Maybe. And then oh we get God. a little more about the pride of Paul. So yeah. she, Paul says, you know, she doesn't really know anything. You know, she, he's like so confident, like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel know. like he like. Overall, just like him waiting for her to finish, his, like she asks a question and he just doesn't respond, and then like just waiting, like, making her wait for him to speak. It just feels like such a power move, it's like a girl boss move. By Paul. <laughs> <laughs> just Dude. like, are you done? Yeah, Paul's, <laughs> honestly, I kind of respected Paul before, and now I respect him more. Like he's he's totally, you know, he's totally outplayed the Reverend Mother. At her yeah. own game, you know, making these moves. Scammer gets scammed. He's he's the perfect <laughs> politician. Honestly, <laughs> he knows how to debate somebody. You know, he's a master debater. Yes, he Ooh. definitely is. Uh, so like when the Benedictorit talk about their ability to see the, to the future, do you think it's like it's their ability to see into the future is like the prophetic dreams that Paul has? If so, do you think that like every male-born Benedictorit had the had this ability um i feel like it just comes with the bene Gesserit. yeah because i feel we like know the reverend mother has so we don't know i don't think the reverend mother is any super special bene Gesserit. just someone mm -hmm. who's got put it placed in the position so yeah yeah i, I kind of think of the prophetic dreams kind of just like hitting them you know it's not like they have a choice on like what to search for they don't really have like control over it, it kind of just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Them when they're, like sleeping or like standing i guess i don't know it's like when they Maybe that's why they meditate to get these dreams. I don't know. Uh huh. In order, yeah. I mean, that means it seems like Paul that these dreams come naturally to Paul. You know, maybe yeah. A mm -hmm. little more mark of his uniqueness, right? Just to have to meditate. 
so we get a cryptic message too like that which submits rules mm-hmm. so it's like paul again he's like he calls it elementary which is <laughs> such a you know such a I, i'm so smart and nobody can tell me otherwise kind of rude. Mm-hmm. right so what do y'all think of this this quote i thought it was fascinating uh, uh, I, I mean, I mean, I feel like it's kind of weird because, like, typically you don't think of like a like submitting as a like, come out of servant. I feel like that's also kind of weird. Uh-huh. But then, like, Paul also comes back and kind of explains it to us. Okay, not really explains it to us, but I don't, I don't understand either because he goes like, ah, it's like tension with their meaning, you know? It's like, what does that mean? <laughs> I also think that <laughs> this actually makes me think back to episode one where it's saying like. Oh, you know, the animal would be the one to break out of the trap and kill the kill their and oh. like try to escape, oh, and then yeah. the human would line the trap and wait for their attacker and they kill them, right? So I think I that maybe that's there. like I submitted to the trap, right? And then oh, I can like the pain, yeah, and then like wait out the pain, you know, and like submit to the trap, and then that's and then after that you'll rule over your, your opponent, of course, by killing them, right, and saving your mm-hmm. your society. So I think yeah, I maybe that. that's what they mean. So maybe that's what Paul calls elementary is that like they knew this, you know. Yeah, like, it's a trivial human, manner. Again, it's like human versus animal, probably another like Ben and Jester lesson, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So Paul again, he clearly cares about Leto, right? But again, as we said in episode one, Leto is referred to as a dead man. You know, he's already dead. So it's not referred to someone who could be saved. So it's like, so that that's very interesting. Again, you know that the Reverend Mother is feels she's totally powerless. You know, I'm I'm assuming Leto doesn't die because he's a very important character. Um, but again, the the Reverend Mother just seems like she's totally powerless. Just like a yeah, in their face they, she just survive. can't do anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking, like, on the same page, they're talking about, like, a real Bene Gesserit lesson, yeah. and I feel like, when they say that, like, they, they quoted that, I was really, conf- I was, like, I wasn't confused, but I was, like, what is a real Bene Gesserit lesson, right? Because, like, Paul's, like, that yeah. was elementary, like, no, I need a real, <laughs> I need a real lesson. And then that's what it proceeds, and then the Reverend Mother proceeds to teach him one, you know, it's, like, yeah. if you, if you let your dad go, that'll be a real Bene Gesserit lesson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? so, I kind of feel like um, overall, it seems to be like, according to because like Lido ha- Duke Lido has to go, so it seems to be like that Paul cannot accept like this fate, like fate's already spoken, like he's gonna die, I'm sorry. I mean, I feel like maybe the real Benedict lesson is gonna be like accepting the truth that his father's dead and cannot be saved, and like just pushing his emotions away because like if he lets his emotions cloud his judgment, it's gonna be like an animal that like goes crazy over like, I guess the pain, you know? So I feel like yeah. maybe that's what a real Bene Gesserit lesson yeah, I mean, well, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, this chapter, I just feel like it's just confirming Leto's demise. Like, uh-huh. I feel kind of bad for him. Like, Big F. Although, there does seem to be some hope for Paul and Jessica. But, like, overall, in this chapter, it's just, like, saying Leto, I mean, you're I dead, don't know how, how much Leto, I mean, not Leto, how much Paul would function without Leto. Because Paul clearly cares about Leto a lot. And if his dad yeah. is killed, how much psychological damage would do to him like he, he's at the same 15, time you know yeah like he i feel like paul's not ready to be like a duke yet you know like if uh, Lido dies you think paul's ready i don't think so probably not yeah of, he has a lot of unique traits but also he has a lot of you know naivete yeah Wait, is he 15 he's, i thought he was 16 I, I believe he's 15 if i remember. oh okay or 15 oh, guys, to 16. legal age doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Man, there Yo, the... what? <laughs> Repeat that? Oh, wow. <laughs> I think we should cut that out. <laughs> Maybe not. We'll leave it All right. There. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> we legal age does matter. Legal, does matter. We yeah. do not condone any non uh, <laughs> non legal activities. <laughs> anyways, oh, um, anyways. Uh, so we get a mention of the rules here, right? With the benches, right? Um, so it, it, it includes that males cannot be trained in the way, right? More evidence that the Bene Gesserit is like very uh, much a sisterhood. They're very female heavy, right? Mm-hmm. What do y'all think well, this way like, is? Yeah. Um, I'm like, from what we know about the like Bene Gesserit powers, it seems to be like, first of all, very political centers, like body language reading and like the voice and just like being able to read the room. But like, is it something more powerful? Like, could like he hone like this little basic voice that he has to something more like 
mental chess, like brain control, like like you don't feel like you're being controlled, but you are. I don't know. Is it like that powerful? You mean like the way by Uganda Knuckles? Oh my <laughs> god! Don't bring that up again. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But like, that is I so mean, dead. <laughs> I, I'm actually it's kind of coming back because they're making a second Sonic movie. Oh no! Please don't. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I, I was thinking the way is probably like some sort of like special course that the Bene Gesserit go through in order to become like a full fledged Bene Gesserit. You're right. I think it's just a path of training, like maybe like the samurai kind of where yeah they they have this they have the way of the samurai. Yeah, the way of the samurai, oh, or maybe it's uh-huh. this code of chivalry, right? The yeah. Rules. Maybe it's just code of chivalry, but chivalry for for females because better just is sisterhood, right? Um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Also about the voice, like maybe the voice is part of the way. Like it seems like the voice can be trained. Yeah. So. What do y'all think that this means, like, the Bene Gesserit as a whole? Like, is... Well, I mean, I think the training that Jessica's been giving to um, Paul is training the voice. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind I, of I, think I, of at least, I think that's part of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, think... how would they train it, though? Like, would it just, like, yell at people and be like, do something, like, see if they move? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <That'd be funny>. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I mean, they never explained how they train it, but I feel like the voice is part of his training. Yeah, it reminds me of like that Heroes of Olympus thing. I don't remember if I brought it up in the first episode, but like Piper and Charm Speak are in Heroes of mm-hmm. Olympus. It's like, and maybe, I don't know, of course, Charm Speak is something in- inherent in Piper because she was born from Aphrodite, right? But it's that like, but it's, I don't know, yeah, like you said, how how would they ever train the voice, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's just, it seems, it seems like a very interesting, I would love to know more about that. Um, and then the Reverend Mother, basically, she says that, and I quote, uh, but if you don't, well, we shall yet succeed. So this is kind of a quote to break down here. Um, we get this word, we. So is do you th- do y'all think we is referring to the Bene Gesserit? Like, uh, I guess so, because like, it is the Reverend Mother speaking. Yeah. yeah, I'm guessing she's just like speaking for organization. I guess she just means like, if like if Jessica and Paul are not like what they hope to be, like they like the group of Bene Gesserit, like the ultimate plan does not need them as like yeah, it's call. a win-win either way. Like no matter what happens, nothing's gonna like really go bad. Our ultimate right. plan's infallible. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. are no holes in this plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but what about this leak? <laughs> nah, water's leaking. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also, what is this thing they're trying to achieve success in? Like, we shall succeed. Like, what are they trying to succeed oh, in? Like, weird. we haven't gotten a mission statement from the Bene Gesserit. Like, they don't have that posted on their website, benedictor.com, <laughs> you know, our mission. You know, we yeah, aim to produce about. the croissants hot rock or whatever else other <laughs> they could spew out, right? So, what do you all think their, their overall mission statement is? I mean, I, for one, I don't have much of a clue. Talk so much about bloodlines. I honestly still kind of confuse like what they mean by bloodlines and what has to do with like their goat, like their human animal dynamics that they keep focusing on. But I guess it's something like creating like the perfect human or something. It's kind of weird in my opinion. I mean, uh, does that entail like, does that mean that the perfect human is the Kwasas Harak or the Muad'Dib maybe? Mm, I mean, so far from what I see, Paul is far from perfect. Like he's a good guy, but... You know, maybe he, he has his problems. Yeah, he has his issues, especially you know not respecting his elders and so. Sure. I mean, not I that mean, I, I mean, although I the elder did try to kill him. Yeah, that <laughs> is true. true. I would respect an elder trying to kill me. You know, that would be <laughs> that would be very that would be Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess also success. Yeah, they're also yeah, but just sort of super emphasis on this this animal versus human thing. So maybe they're trying to. I mean the the reverend mother said in the first like chapter like we're trying to sift human like sift people to find the humans or something maybe that's also yeah, part of their mission right to, so I, I don't know it's it's very interesting i, I would also want to know more about ben and Jester organization but i i know for a yeah. fact that we'll get more of that because they're very important yeah um but i think yeah we can move on a little bit here so again like like Reverend Mother, we get some more examples of her softer side, so her emotions. And she's been rather stony most of the time, but 
like a few times she like expresses like when she's speaking to Jessica she's like clearly you know she's worried beyond what she can express right and she can't express much but when I was wondering like if like when they described at the end of the book that like a tear came out you know I was wondering is that like is she crying because she pities Jessica and Paul for the for like the pain they're about to go through or is it more like she's crying because she can't protect them like a mother should in this scenario yeah well i mean although she acted all high and mighty i think she might she kind of is like worried for jessica and paul especially jessica because like we know that their relationship goes deeper than like we initially thought mm -hmm. and also because she sees potential within paul like she does admit a little bit that paul does have potential to be the kuzats Hadarak. right so i think that there's definitely a lot of factors here one as you said i think that she's crying because she feels that paul will die and then she feels that Paul had so much potential to be the Kwasas Hadarak, <laughs> right? And then that's, like, one of the reasons she's crying is, like, this loss of potential. Another reason is she sees Jessica as her daughter. And then, I mean, this family means a lot to her, no matter what she says, um, and we can tell. So I think <laughs> that's that. that's her emotions, right? Not just her cold calculation that, oh, we're going to, Ben and Jezra lose this opportunity to Kwasas Hadarak, Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's mainly like this loss of potential and then also this loss of family, family you know yeah. yeah this loss of you know people that she deeply actually cares about um I think those are the two motivating factors for her uh right so yeah do you all have anything else to add to that no I think that's it seems about right to be honest all right well then um we'll move on to the last segment of our podcast as usual uh, we're gonna pick three each of us will pick three of our favorite well not each of us pick three that would be too hard we each <laughs> pick one of our favorite quotes from the chapter and then we discuss it a little bit so Fillmore I'll let you take it away so my favorite quote of the chapter was humans must never submit to animals this was my favorite quote because when they refer to animals, they aren't literally referring to animals. I believe that they're talking about the animalistic natures that humans have behind their civility. Mm -hmm. And the Bene Gesserit stress the importance of being a human and staying away from their animalistic desires. And even in modern day, many crimes stem from people giving into their animalistic instincts and taking another person's life or like making them injured or giving into their carnal desires and committing a crime in yeah. a certain manner. If you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And their ideal like Lord of Flies. Yeah. Lord of the... no. <laughs> yeah. Animal nature. At least that was kid friendly up until the very end, where that yeah, was, it became a little bit gruesome, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, their ideal of what makes a human a human felt very profound to me. Right, I, I definitely really like this, and I'll talk a little bit about it more in my quote, but yeah, it's just, it really emphasizes this idea between, like, this distinction between humans and animals that we keep bringing up. I feel like, honestly, this is developing into a tangible theme in this book, Humans versus Animals, right? Mm -hmm. I, I definitely think that makes sense. Um, apply this to my life. <laughs> yeah, I, w I will not be an animal, you know, that's my mantra. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I have to recite it every morning when I wake up, you know. I will not submit. I will not submit to my dog. You know. I will, I will not submit to. I will not submit to the squirrel in my backyard. <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never. I don't. Never. Animals. You go to the zoo. I will not submit to the fish in the aquatic tank. Yeah, I will you not submit to the, the monkey asking for food. Exactly. You can't, you can't boss me around. Yeah, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> And then, anyway, uh, moving on from th that, um, the quote I picked uh, was, uh, quote, The willow submits to the wind and prospers until one day it is many willows, a wall against the wind. So this is honestly such a beautiful quote to me because willows um, in Tolkien's Legendarium, at least, if you'll know about, like, well, like if the Tolkien listeners know about Nantatherin and how much... Uh, how much that meant to the the escapees from Gondolin. Um, so willows are are really beautiful kind of kind of tree, right? Mm -hmm. Just personally to me. And then it's it's really it's it's very naturey, right? Yeah. I, so I just like really love this quote. And about this, like symbolically, you know, it talks about how it might not be good to fight back immediately against like opposition. So of course we, I talked about this earlier when I was talking about the human wit. Yeah, well, the 
the human, yeah, would wait in the trap, you know, for for their like ambusher and then kill them, while the animal would like bite off their arm and escape, right, or bite off yeah. whatever their, mm-hmm. their their limbs and escape, right. Um, so I guess it's a it would be like a better alternative in many cases to like slowly gather strength and courage and then f- strike when the time is right. So I guess in real life, an analogy would be something like might not be good to talk back to your boss, you know, so that with so that they would like give you good recommendation and then you can move away from them. And if you ever get higher than them, you know, you can just fire them. You're fired. (laughs) You're fired. (laughs) Right. Yeah, honestly, I really like that, like this quote as well, because it's just like the way that like it shows that there's more than one way to deal with hardship you know like sometimes it's best to submit sometimes it is best to stand up but like timing is very important in either scenario yeah i also really like how they use willows because like you see in like all those aesthetic pictures they use like a willow tree Uh i just think that they're like it's like a really beautiful plant yeah it just is honestly willows are great Nantathan, the land of willows in tolkien's world that that description of that place is just so so breathtaking um, but I think this quote, uh, it's more like applicable to real life than it is to the yeah. book. But I'm sure we'll find ways to apply it to the book, you know, in the future. Yeah. When when we see more of this 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 idea that the Reverend Mother has and the Benedictine has of humans versus animals, right? Now I'd like to bring in my quote to end off, which is going to be the quote of "Shield your son too much, Jessica, and he'll not grow strong enough to fulfill any destiny." I really like this quote because, like. It highlights that people kind of have to face their adversity, right? Like if they want to like, quote unquote, fulfill the destiny or like achieve their, I guess, dreams. It's a little cheesy, but like uh-huh. they have to like um, be strong. And the only way to do that is to fight. And like obviously, like the Reverend Mother sees kind of like a motherish view. Like she wants to protect them, but at the same time, the love, like true love, is means that like. You're, you're like your child is being independent one day and you kind of have to let them get hurt sometimes because that's the only way to grow and being overprotective is kind of harmful sometimes because you don't want your kid to be too sheltered right mm-hmm. and i think it's important to like succeed and make a name for yourself like you have to like go through the pain and like, you mm. like i guess you gotta sacrifice for yeah you have to fight out. for what you want for what is yeah. letting someone tell you for sure and yeah because then you'll so actually like gain something from it right you're yeah, the like, one that went through the process of you know like, that's I, like yeah, yeah it'll feel meaningful i mean i know one of my mom's friends like uh one of my mom's friends like shelter they're they're basically the 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 normal example of helicopter parents you know the the archetypal uh, yeah. helicopter parent in, in the sense that you know, at least one of the examples I like to give is that, like, her son like likes to read, right? But mm-hmm. basically, she she like she like checks out all the books from the library and like scans through them. To only make sure nonfiction. No, like, yeah, only nonfiction. Or <laughs> oh just, like, or, like scans through explicit content. You know, like or, to look for explicit content, like so, to, to so that she can uh, so that you know she her son won't see it, and then they have like filters on the Wi-Fi, and they don't have a phone, wow. and they're not wow. like video games. So I'm like, I'm like. Dude, this guy will never grow up. You know, he's gonna go to college, and he won't—he won't be able to have a path for himself. He's not used I know. to having all this freedom. And then these are the types of people, you know, that that will go and they—they'll—they'll they'll be the <laughs> ones that are, you know, totally lost in alcohol or drugs. You know, yeah, they're lost in the sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, so I'm just like. You know, yeah, it's really applicable. I just thought of this, and it really definitely yeah. applies. On this I mean, since they're like, yeah. yeah, since they're not like aware of all these things, they're just gonna be screwed. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna be easily swayed by whatever they come across, and like, just yeah. not being like, like even though it does feel good, I guess, like sometimes in the first times, it's just not prepared for it. You know? Yeah, yeah I, mean, I definitely think that no matter how how strong Paul thinks he is, he has a. A bit of a dependence on his mother and sure. of, of course he's 15 i don't blame him he's you know, <laughs> yeah. jessica's not like a helicopter parent from what i could see you know mm-hmm. but she's I, actually trying to prepare him by training yeah. him but i mean she she still has that maternal instinct you know that mm-hmm. i want to protect my son from harm and of course i respect that that's a good trait in this case you know um yeah i think uh do you all have any else anything else to add to that oh good 
Yeah, it seems about right. Seems about right. Okay, well, then that wraps it up. So I believe that concludes discussion for this episode of the Dune Not Enter podcast. So make sure to read the chapter four and Dune in next time when we discuss it. So as always, um, thanks to all of you awesome listeners for sticking around and being patient with us and being yes, interested wow. in our thoughts. So um, follow us on Twitter at do not enter reddit uh the u slash do not enter and email us at do not enter at gmail.com so basically do not enter spelled d-u-n-e-n-o-t-e-n-t-e-r um that's where you can contact us we would love to hear any feedback thoughts suggestions you may have of course uh our favorite would be questions if you want to ask sure. something or just say hi to us right uh if you have a question we'll do our best to work our way or work it into the podcast so um and also if you guys enjoyed uh listening to us uh we're now on spotify and itunes so uh make sure to give us um a good review i mean five stars five star five stars only (laughs) (laughs) yeah make sure to give us a good review there too we'd really appreciate it. it really helps with the algorithm and recommending our show so if you want other if you want to spread your love for dune share it around you know give it give us good reviews and uh we would love to keep bringing this content to you guys. Yeah, so I think that's about it. So have a great week, and we will see you all back very soon. See you guys next time. Bye. Bye.